If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to John 15. You'll find the text printed in your bulletin, John 15, verses 1 through 11. Today we conclude our series entitled, Who is Jesus? Walking through the seven I Am statements of our Savior found in John's Gospel. Remember, these have functioned kind of like seven different camera angles, emphasizing different parts of our Savior's character, of His work, and helping us to remember that Jesus really is the greatest Savior that ever there was. Before I read this text, let me pray and ask for the Lord's help and His blessing. Gracious God, you told us that all Scripture is breathed out by you and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. Lord, open our eyes to see wondrous things in this, your holy word. Speak, Lord, for your servants listen. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Here now the reading of God's word, John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. In a seminary missions class, Professor Herbert Jackson told a story about how as a new missionary, he was given a vehicle that didn't work as well as he would have liked. The car would not start unless it had a little bit of a push. And so pondering what to do, he decided to go down to the local school and get some of the students to kind of give the car a little push, and they cranked it up, and it started right up. Realizing that that wasn't sustainable every time, he learned to park on a little bit of a slope so that he could get a little rolling start and then crank it or leave the car running while going in to visit people or do what he needed to do. Well, ill health forced the Jacksons to leave the mission field after only two years, And so a new missionary came to the station, began explaining to him different things. One thing about the car, you know, you've got to give it a little push before it starts. And this new missionary opens the hood and looks at it. And as Jackson has explained to him what to do, he says, you know, Dr. Jackson, I think I know what's wrong. I think it's this loose cable right here. Tightens it up, steps in the car, turns it on, starts right up. For two years, needless trouble had become routine. The power was there all the time. It was just a poor connection to the battery. You know, we can laugh about the loose connection of a car and 
somebody's failure to recognize that, but you know, there's a much greater connection that deserves more of our attention, our connection to the Lord. That's really what Jesus is talking about here in John 15. This is the last of his seven I am statements. They've been building on each other, and they culminate here in this statement, I am the vine, you are the branches. Jesus is the true vine, he tells us, and we're to abide or be connected to him. And while Jesus is the vine, he's really telling us that we need to abide in all three persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, the doctrine of the Trinity is one of the most fundamental beliefs that the Bible teaches. It's also one of the hardest for us to understand. We have one God who exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Shorter Catechism tells us that these three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. But it's hard for us to wrap our minds around that. I don't fully understand it, but the Bible teaches it, so we must believe it. The main point of this final I am statement is that we are to be connected to the three persons of the Trinity. But before we can explore abiding in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we must answer a crucial question. What does it mean to abide? To abide or remain carries a sense of close connection and relationship. Jesus says in verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you. In these 11 verses, the word abide is found 10 times. Clearly, it's important. Jesus says in verse 1, I am the true vine, and you are the branches. The phrase true vine implies that there is something that is being contrasted with. And all throughout the Old Testament, we find God's people being described as a vine. Yet every time it's used, it's used as a rebuke for their lack of bearing fruit, their lack of faithfulness. And for example, Hosea 10, 1 through 2 declares, Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. As his country improved, he improved his pillars. Their heart is false. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. Instead of being fruitful for God's glory, they worshipped idols and false gods. So Jesus says, I'm the true vine, the fulfillment of where Israel failed. And he's the one who enables God's people to live as they should. Which is why we're to abide in him, the vine. The doctrine Jesus is teaching here is union with Christ. It's the truth that by faith we're connected to to Jesus and all that he accomplished. This means our, Christian, our identity is not in our past failures or our current successes, but in the finished work of Jesus. So we abide in him. Yeah, why is the title of the sermon Abiding in the Triune God? Doesn't Jesus just say abide in him? Well, we must realize that whatever one person of the Trinity does, the other two are involved as well. It doesn't mean we mix them up and, and we don't distinguish, but rather, if, for example, Jesus is doing something, God the Father and the Holy Spirit are at work as well. As we walk through this passage, this idea will become clear. The first element that we're to abide in is the Father's pruning. Look at verse 2. Jesus says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. 
Have you ever been to a vineyard or to a winery? It's beautiful. Certain parts of our country and other countries just have so many vineyards. But if you know anything about a vineyard, is it takes a lot of work to keep it healthy. Day after day, the workers in the vineyard have to pay close attention to the various branches to make sure there's no disease or bugs infesting. And if they find them, they cut them off quickly. And every year after harvest, they are cut way back. Why? So that they're healthy. You know, a lot of plants take significant amount of care. My three-year-old son, Bo, loves geraniums, probably because they're red, his favorite color. But one of the ways you care for geraniums, if you're not aware, is what's called deadheading geraniums, where you take you know, the flower after it's wilted a little bit, and you cut it off, but not just right at the flower, but at the base of the stem, further than you would think, where there's new growth. Why? So that it's healthy, and that the sap of the vine goes to other buds so that they can have beautiful blossoms. And so it is with God the Father. He prunes those who are in Christ. This pruning is the removal of anything that gets in the way of Christ-likeness. It could be attitudes that we have that are contrary to what the Word of God says. It could be the rooting out of idols, things that we're worshiping instead of Him. Or it could be people in our life that are leading us away from God. How does God prune us? Often it's through trials and suffering. When we go through hard times, the Lord will use this to show us what matters most, to bring us back to Him. Other times the Lord disciplines us in response to our sin in order to show us the wickedness of our ways and to convict us. The author of Hebrews talks about this in the 12th chapter of Hebrews where he says that God disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. When a gardener trims branches of a tree or a bush or a vine, the the plant feels nothing. But when God prunes us, we feel it. And it's tempting to say, God, this hurts. Like, stop, what are you doing? No, don't put me through this. Get me out of this situation. We certainly don't seek pain for the sake of it, and we can certainly ask God to bring us through certain trials, yet at the same time, if God has sovereignly ordained all that comes to pass, then maybe, just maybe, he's using the circumstances you're in right now to prune you, to make you more like Christ. Maybe we should pray something like, Lord, please use this circumstance to make me more like you. That's a hard thing to pray. It's not fun. But if God knows better than we do, maybe he's working in us to grow us to be more like him. In some ways it's much easier to say, Lord, don't prune me. It's too hard. I can't handle it. But the alternative is far worse. Those the father doesn't prune, he cuts off. In verse 6, it says that he gathers them and thrown away and they're burned. This means if we're not connected to Jesus, then we'll face the judgment of God. And on the surface, this seems to mean, well, we can lose our salvation. But we must let Scripture interpret Scripture. And John 6 and John 10 make very clear that we can't lose our salvation. So Jesus isn't saying that those who are truly saved will be cut off, but rather those who give the appearance 
of being connected to Jesus, but aren't actually connected, will be cut off. In other words, you can seem like you know the right answers, and you can be in the pews every week, year after year, but if you're not connected to Christ, then it doesn't matter. And so I have to ask you, are you abiding in Christ? Are you connected to Jesus? Are you just going through the motions, a nominal or a cultural Christian? We ought to take care, to take heed, to look at ourselves and make sure that we really are connected to Jesus. We are to abide in Him and His pruning. Why does the Father prune true believers? So that they can bear more fruit. The goal is to be more like Christ. It purifies us. You know, if you're going to refine gold, you have to heat it up to over 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And at that temperature, the impurities rise to the surface, the goldsmith scrapes them off, and then does that process over and over. And so it is with us. Sometimes the heat of our circumstances causes the sin to rise to the surface, and God in His loving kindness scrapes it off as He prunes us to be more like Jesus. As the hymn, How Firm a Foundation, says, When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. So we abide in the Father's pruning. And secondly, we abide in the Son's love. Look with me at verse 9. Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If we read this verse too quickly, we can miss the beauty of what's there. And my guess is most of us say, well, does Jesus love us? Yeah, of course. We know the song, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. All right, cool, I get it. Let's move on. But no, notice what Jesus says. In the same way that the Father loves the Son, so the Son loves us. Does God the Father love His Son? Of course, with an infinite, beautiful, never-ending love. With the same kind of love, Jesus says, that's how I love you. Jesus' baptism, the Father declares in Matthew 3, 17, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. At the transfiguration of Christ, the same words, almost exact same words are repeated. Matthew 17, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. In the same manner that the Father loves the Son, so the Son, Jesus, loves us. How does Jesus show us this love? Well, there's a multitude of ways, but the clearest is the cross. Remember, Jesus is giving these words to his disciples on Monday, Thursday, just hours before he's hanging on the cross. He's about to put his money where his mouth is. I love you. You want to see how? I'm going to die on the cross for you. What a beautiful picture of love. Jesus shed his blood for us. He bore the wrath of God for our sins. He did it for love. And so we're to abide in the Son's love. Does this mean the Father doesn't love us? No, of course not. John 3, 16, For God, the Father, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Or 1 John 3, 1, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Friends, do you ever think that Jesus up in heaven just kind of frustrated, disappointed with you? You can almost just think of kind of arms folded and just kind of a frown. You know, there's John. He's a pastor. He keeps on sinning. 
I might have to give up on him. Maybe you fall into thinking that way too. But Jesus is reminding us, no, his love for us is perfect. Instead of living in fear of the displeasure and disapproval of Jesus, no, find the perfect love of God that is yours. Friends, this makes all the difference in the world. Jesus says in verse 3, Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. It's the word about what he's going to do at the cross. We're clean because of Christ, because he paid the price for our sins. On the cross, he cried out what? It is finished. He took the cup of the wrath of God's fury for sin and he drank it to the dregs. When you abide in the love of Jesus, you're free to live as God intends you to live. You don't have to try to earn God's favor by doing good deeds. You can't earn it. Jesus says in verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I've wrestled a long time with what this verse means. And I've actually changed my understanding of it. I used to think that Jesus means apart from me, you can do nothing. Like take no breath or no step or do your job or cook a meal. And in some way that's true. God enables us to do everything. But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. I said he's saying that apart from him, you cannot please God. You can do lots of things, even lots of good things. But at the end of the day, they amount to nothing. They will not save you. They will not earn God's love. And if they're not done to the glory of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, God's not even pleased. Abiding in Jesus' love also frees you from looking to others for approval. It's tempting to look to your spouse to find recognition or to a boss to give you affirmation. Kids, it's easy to look to one of your friends or to your parents to make sure you know you're loved. And, and that's good, but it's not ultimate. Teenagers, you might be tempted to look to a boyfriend or a girlfriend or to look to a coach or someone else. People will always let us down, but Jesus never will. His love for us is perfect. Are you abiding in the Son's love for you? What does that look like? Well, it starts with a personal relationship with Christ. Jesus says in verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. You see, Jesus communicates to us through his word. I feel like I might sound like a broken record, but this is why we must be people of the word. We must study God's word. We must come weekly to hear it preached, because in it we find the words of life, the words of love from our Savior. And then we respond in prayer. That's how we communicate with God. It's laying our hearts before the Lord, sharing the good, the bad, and the ugly. Anglican pastor and professor J.C. Ryle says, To abide in Christ means to keep up a habit of constant, close communion with Him. To be always leaning on Him, resting on Him, pouring out our hearts to Him, and using Him as our fountain of life and strength, as our chief companion and best friend. Friends, we must abide on the Father's pruning, the Son's love, and finally, the Spirit's obedience. Maybe you're thinking, John, I don't see the Holy Spirit mentioned once in this passage. What are you, what are you talking about? Well, you're right. He's not there explicitly, but implicitly, he's all over the place. John 14, Jesus talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. In John 16, we find more teaching on the Spirit. So we just surely expect to find something about the Spirit here in chapter 15. Well, in 1 Peter 1.11, the Holy Spirit is referred to 
is the Spirit of Christ. And so to abide in Christ includes abiding in the Holy Spirit. And it's also the Spirit who enables us to follow the Lord and to bear fruit. Remember Jesus' words in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. How does Christ abide in us? It's through the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ living inside of us. And if Christ indwells us by the Holy Spirit, then we will bear fruit, Jesus says. What is this fruit? Well, it's our good works done to the glory of God, empowered by the Spirit of God. This includes our thoughts and our words and our deeds. We can't do any of this on our own. Galatians 5, to 23, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Notice Paul says it's not the fruit of John as if I've got to try harder to, to do these things. No, it's the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit works in your heart to allow you to live this way. Brothers and sisters, I think most of us know we're saved by God's grace. In other words, we're justified, we're declared right with God by the finished work of Christ. But we fall into the trap of thinking that somehow we can become more like Christ. We can be sanctified by our efforts. It's up to me, I've got to try harder. Now certainly we work, but it's as the Holy Spirit works in us. It's the same grace that saves you as the grace that grows you to be more like Jesus. So you don't work harder Rather, you allow God, the Holy Spirit, to work in you. Notice the connection that Jesus makes between obedience and love. You know, we talked about abiding in the Son's love. And then in verse 10, Jesus says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You often hear people say, All we need is love. We need to love God and to love others. Yes, for sure. But how we define love is so important. It's not just a warm, fuzzy feeling. It involves our affections, yes, but also our actions, our obedience. Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. We show our love for Jesus by obeying him. We love God by bearing fruit. And it's in response to his love that we love through obedience. One of the early church fathers was a man named Polycarp. And late in his life, he was arrested for his faith by the Roman government, and he was threatened with being thrown into the Colosseum to face the wild animals. And the Roman proconsul came to him and said, Look, you're old. Don't do this to yourself. Don't go to face the wild animals in the Colosseum. No, just recant your faith, and we'll spare you. We're not going to actually throw you in. Polycarp replied, Eighty and six years I have served him, and he never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? That's the impact the loving faithfulness of God has on us. We recognize what God has done. It motivates, it empowers, it enables us to bear fruit, to obey, especially when it's hard. Are you bearing fruit? Is the Holy Spirit cultivating fruit in your life? If you think about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, general self-control, is that true of you? Is that true of me? If not, maybe you're not connected to Jesus. Do you love God more now than when you first profess faith? 
It may sound cheesy, but if you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence in your life to convict you? Remember, we don't, we're not saved by our works, but we're saved to do good works as the Holy Spirit works in us. And notice in verses 2 and 7 that Jesus talks about much fruit and more fruit. Do you know what a minimalist is? Someone that tries to live on the minimum amount of things as possible. They have a small house, maybe one of those tiny houses you've seen on TV, and a few dishes, a few books, a few of this or that. You know, I think sometimes we live as minimalist Christians. What's the minimum amount of fruit I can bear in my life so that I can actually go to heaven? I don't want to do more than I have to. What's the least amount of times I have to show up to church so that I'm okay? That's not at all how we should be. So what's the maximum? What's the most? How can we bear more fruit for God's glory? And cultivate obedience in your life through the work of the Spirit. So you reflect on God's love. Maybe for you this week it means putting down your phone and stop scrolling Instagram, or instead of watching the third episode on Netflix, you spend some time with the Lord, growing in your love for Him. We need a good connection to our triune God if we're going to live as Christians. You know, so often we lack power in our Christian life. Stories told of a mechanic in Mangum, Oklahoma, who answered a distress call of a woman on the side of the road saying her car won't run. The mechanic came out, checked it out, and said, Ma'am, I hate to tell you this, but your car's out of gas. So she said, Well, will it hurt if I drive home with an empty gas tank? God shook his head. You know, it'd be cheaper to drive cars without gas, but if you tried, you don't get very far. You could coast downhill, but eventually your car stalls out. So it is in the Christian life. We can try to run on empty, but if we're not connected to the vine, if we're not daily abiding in Jesus, we're not going to bear fruit. We're not going to live as Christ wants us to. So abide in him. It's Holy Week. Focus on Christ, his death and resurrection. And with that, grow in you fruit for God's glory. Remember, Jesus Christ really is the greatest Savior that ever there was. Let us pray.